again, everybody. How you guys doing? I'd like to just start our time just by looking at some words from Jesus, if you guys would. We're going to open up to John chapter 15. And uh, if you need a Bible underneath one of the seats in front of you, there should be a Bible under there. I'll also have these scriptures on the screen. When you open there, just kind of leave it open. We're going to hang out there this morning. So John chapter 15, these are, are words straight from Jesus. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Beautiful words from Jesus. Um, in the Gospel of John, some of you guys are familiar with this story. In, in the Gospel of John chapter 2, there's this story that records Jesus' first miracle, where he turns water into wine. And Jesus was at a wedding banquet with his disciples, and uh, his mother was also there. And at a certain point, she comes up to him and she says, They've run out of wine. And Jesus looks at her and he says, well, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. But knowing that this would be um, very embarrassing for the family, this is, this is sort of a catastrophe for this to happen for this family, so Jesus steps in. And he tells the servants to take these six stone water jars that are used for uh, Jewish ritual hand washing, and he says, hey, fill them to the brim with water. And so they do that, and he says, okay, now take some water out of there and take it to the master of the feast. And so when they bring it to the master of the feast and he tastes it, this water that's now turned to wine, he doesn't know where it came from, but he says, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely and had their fill, then they bring out the cheaper wine. But you have saved the best until now. A couple years ago, I was out at uh, Pepperdine, and um, I, I was blessed to hear this message, this sermon from a man named Brian Zond, and he was basically talking about this story from John chapter 2 um, and relating that to his own walk with Christ. So Brian had grown up knowing and loving Jesus. He had strong roots in the church. By the time he was 17, he was regularly preaching, and he would go on um, to become a very successful minister. Uh, in his 30s, he was, you know, uh, ministering to a, a large mega church. And, you know, but he reached this point, despite all of this happening, he reached this place in his faith, where as he described it, the wine had all run out. He said that what he was experiencing was this watery version of faith and of Christianity. 
And I was thinking about this this last couple weeks and, and just thinking about our congregation and our prayer lives as we've talked about this. And, and maybe some of us can relate to this feeling that maybe there are some areas of our faith that have become watery. Uh, maybe it's our prayer lives that we've been talking about. Maybe they've gotten a little thin and weak. Perhaps uh, our desire for the word has gotten watered down. Maybe uh, it's our dedication to the church or to inviting people or, or maybe just telling people about Jesus. Maybe that has gotten a little bit watery. And there's a lot of things that can factor in on this. When, when we look honestly at our congregation, um, we just prayed for one family today. We've had a lot of people who've moved away. And um, our numbers have kind of thinned out. And a lot of people have had to leave the Bay Area. And, and many reasons, lots of good reasons, um, we keep in touch with, with so many people. And they're doing great kingdom work where they're planted. Um, but, it, but it's sad for us to, to lose people. We can look at the, the growing influence of secularism in our culture today that seems to be more and more people just rejecting God, more and more people who, who really want no relationship with him or with his church. And the mission field we're working in seems to be getting more challenging, and we're working with less resources, less workers for the kingdom. And then we can look back and, and tell these great stories and remember the good old days, right? The bus ministries that were thriving, and we can think about when our children's ministries or our youth ministries just had great numbers of, of kids and teens, you know, we can remember all the potlucks that we had and, and think about the times when it seemed like people were more consistent about showing up and maybe people were more serious about their faith. And all of these things we can look at and, and they can start to leave us feeling like the wine is diluted. Maybe even in some cases we feel like the, the wine is running out. But at the heart of Brian's message, when he was preaching this, was that the turning point in his life and in his ministry and in his search for authentic faith, the turning point for him was prayer. That as he learned to pray well and to deepen his prayer life, Jesus turned his water into wine. And that's, that's where I'd like us to lean into a bit today. Over this last few weeks, we've talked about prayer in this series, Awe and Intimacy, uh, we've discussed the foundation of our prayer lives. We've talked about our desire for God. We've talked about prayer being a conversation that we're invited into, that God has started, and he invites us into that response with him, a two-way communication. Um, we've looked directly to the master. We looked to Jesus last week to learn from him, as he said, pray like this, as we looked at the model prayer. We've spent time in the word, and not just studying it, but, but really living in it. And, and letting the scriptures guide our thoughts and prayer um, as we've learned to respond to God through his word. And so as we come into this last lesson in this series, this whole week I've been praying, God, what, what's next? What, what do you want for us in our prayer lives? What takes us to that next level? How does all of this push us deeper in our relationship and closeness with God? How does this strengthen some of the watered-down areas of our faith or maybe the diluted version of Christianity that can creep into our lives and into the church. And I, I think, church, that the answer is right here in this passage today in John 15. And so I just want to just lay it right out there, right from the beginning. At the very core of this whole message, it's, it's right here. That I, I, If you fall asleep or you miss everything else I have to say, the core of the message is right here, and it's right from Jesus. In verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. It says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. He's the vine. We are branches. He says, apart from me, you can't do anything. And I, I love this passage, this chapter of Scripture, this whole passage of this illustration of the vine and branches. The metaphor is just so great. And it stands the test of time. I mean, we don't have to look at cultural context. We don't have to look at any of that. It's just, it stands the test of time that we can just look at this. And I love the way he uses this. And it, when I read it, it's such a simple message at its core. I mean, I, I brought in a few branches from my yard. We were doing some yard work yesterday. And so these are from a pear tree. Uh, but, you know, we look at these branches, and if we were really to consider what we have there, it would be silly for us to look at this branch and say, grow fruit. I mean, it would be uh, almost ridiculous to kind of think that somehow these branches are just going to be able to concentrate hard, or by their own sheer will, that they're just going to be able to force fruit to grow in their lives. It's completely cut off from the tree. I mean, anyone who has any kind of basic knowledge of gardening would know that's not going to grow. It's dead. If it's not dead, it is certainly dying. It's basically only good at this point for firewood. Or maybe we could chop it up into some wood chips or something like that. But one thing it is absolutely not good for is fruitful life. It's not going to happen. And Jesus says, he is the vine and we are just branches. And when I think about the simplicity in this message, do you know the only job that a branch has to do? The only job the branch has to do is stay connected to the tree. That's it. If you stay connected to the tree, the vine does the rest of the work. It will provide the life source. It will grow. It will produce leaves and provide shade for people. It will bless people. It will pr produce fruit. To also bless people. If the branch stays attached to the tree, it will grow. And all of this just by staying attached to the life source. And I think this is what Jesus is telling us here this morning. And we have a tendency to um, make it so complicated sometimes. Like somehow if, uh, if we just read the right self-help book, or if we find the right Bible study, or maybe it's the right church or the style of worship. If we find all those things and we figure it out, that maybe that's the formula for producing fruit in our lives. And so we can almost treat it like a math problem, that if we follow the right steps and figure out the equation properly, boom, fruitful living. And our prayer lives can be like this too, that if we find the right technique or if we go to the right place, walk the right prayer labyrinth, um, if we... Uh, listen to the right prayer, the masters of prayer who have taught on prayer that somehow will figure out the secret to really deepening our prayer lives. And I want to say, I'm all in favor for uh, good books. There's a lot of great authors out there. There's a lot of good insight that we can gain for life and for faith. I'm all in favor for that. For a good Bible study, I, I think a Bible study, uh, a good Bible study in our lives is actually essential for us in our growth as we love the Lord with all of our minds, that we're, we're growing and understanding his word. So I think those things are essential. I'm all in favor for commitment to the church. That's something I'm very passionate about, that God has really worked in me. And I'm, I'm definitely in favor, as we talked about in our, our class this morning, to seek to worship in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. I want to do that. 
And, I, and I'm also all in favor for consulting wisdom from, from great people who have studied prayer and great prayer warriors from the past and learning new practices and new techniques for our prayer lives. But if we do all of those things and we miss the whole point, that the, the point of those very things is to keep us connected to the vine. That's, that's the whole reason we do all that. Because if, if we miss that, then we're just like a branch right here that's on the ground trying to produce fruit by our own power and our own determination, our own sheer will, that somehow that's going to happen. And it's just, it's not going to happen. Jesus tells us in verse 1 and 2 of our passage in John 15, he says, I'm the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. And so he gives us some insight as to two things that this vine dresser, the Father, does to ensure the maximum production of fruit. And so the first thing that he does is he removes the unfruitful branches. And it's really interesting here, something that I was kind of wrestling with is in verse 2, in my, in my translation, the NIV reads a little bit different, but it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And this is a little bit tricky for me, because as I read this, what it sounds like to me is that there is a difference in those who claim to be in him, that they, they, they may look like they are attached to the vine, but there's a difference in claiming to be in him and to actually abiding in him. You know, I was thinking about, some of you know about a year and a half ago I fell out of a tree. I was cutting down and doing some work. And, um, and, and I was thinking, this is kind of a good example of this. You know, I should have been using a ladder. It wasn't the smartest way to go about it. But uh, I was like, well, there's some solid branches I can stand on. I'm up there with a chainsaw working on it. As soon as this branch that looked solid to me as soon as some weight was put on it, as soon as it was tested, it snapped right off the tree and I went down with it. Luckily, I threw the chainsaw the other way, but, um, <laughs> but I think this gives us an indication of this, right? That this branch, from all appearances, it looked like it was attached to this tree. But really, it was hollowed out. It was diseased. It was not attached to the life source. And so I don't want to chase this too far today for the sake of our message, but clearly there's an implication that there may be some people out there who look like they're connected to the life source. They can claim they're connected to the vine, but in reality, Christ is not really connected to them, and it's just a matter of time before God cuts those dying branches away as they're sucking life and spreading disease through the rest of the tree. But the second thing that the vine dresser does in this passage is that he prunes the branches that are fruitful so that they would produce even more fruit. And this pruning gives us a picture of kind of a painful process, but a necessary process of God removing some of the things in our lives that are not helping us grow. And Jesus, it's important here, Jesus doesn't say that the branch prunes itself. He says the Father does the pruning if we remain in Him, that He will do that. And, and sometimes I think that we're kind of reluctant to go through the pruning, to allow God to actually prune some of the things away. And there's some things that, you know, we could probably look at and clearly say, well, this is definitely not good for me. God needs to cut that away, but I don't really want to let it go. And then there's other things that seem like they might be good for us, or, you know, they're, they're hard to understand. Why is God pruning this area of my life? I, I don't quite understand it. 
But if we're really leaning into our trust of the divine the vine dresser, the, the Father, if we're really trusting Him to work, then we need to allow this pruning to happen because that is going to push us into deeper faith and trust in Him. And His whole purpose, His whole purpose right here in verse 2, is that we would bear more fruit. That's, that's the whole reason He is doing this pruning. In fact, in verse 8 of our passage, he says, by this the Father is glorified that you would bear fruit. So it's all for his glory. That's why we're going through this pruning. And so as I read this, it, it seems pretty clear to me that there is an expectation of, of Christians that we would bear fruit. This seems to be pretty clear here, that this is, this is expected of us. I mean, we heard this back... We hear this all throughout the Bible, but even in Genesis, the very first chapter of the Bible, right? God commands, be fruitful and multiply. Like from the very beginning, God has been saying, this is an expectation. This is what I want for you. And so Jesus says, abide in me, for apart from me, you, can do, you can't do anything. And so I looked up the word abide. I really like this word. Anyone ever see The Big Lebowski? I know that's not really church-appropriate movie, but it's a guilty pleasure. I love that movie, and there's this motto that keeps coming up, the dude abides. I, I love that. But I looked up the word abide, and it says to accept or act in accordance with. Some of the, your translations, like the NIV says, remain in me. That's kind of the word that's used there. Some of the other synonyms that we could use would be to comply with or to obey, to follow, to hold to. And the one that I really like is to conform to. That sort of this idea that part of what's happening is this conforming, right? We talk about wanting to be more and more like Jesus. There's a conforming that's happening into his image. So clearly there's elements that Jesus is talking about here pointing us to obedience. This seems to be a part of this message that, you know, he says that um, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So there's clearly an element of obedience, but, but even more than that, I think at the core is exactly that, that we're trying to be conformed more into his image, that this is the one we follow, so we want to be like him, and he will do that if we hold to and follow and remain in him, that the Holy Spirit will work in that way in our lives, so that to abide in Jesus is to continue in a, in a daily personal relationship with him. And so that's characterized by trust and obedience, but absolutely essential for this is to have his words abide in us. He says this in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words in you, so to have his word abide in us and then to continue remaining connected in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul writes, pray without ceasing. I remember when I first read this, and I was like, well, how do you do that? Like, you just walk around constantly praying. Do you ever say amen? Like, how does it work? You know, walk me through how this goes. But I think Paul is essentially pointing to the same idea. We pray without ceasing that we would come to this place that we embody a mental attitude of prayerfulness in everything. Everywhere we go, in every conversation, every person we meet, it's all prayer. You know, that, that the whole thing is just lifted before God and that we'd continue in a personal fellowship with Him and then a consciousness, an awareness of being in His presence continually throughout each day. I don't think this sermon series would be complete without referencing at least that 
some of the things Scripture has to say about things that can hinder our prayer lives. Scripture has a lot more to say about prayer than we've looked at over this last four weeks. Um, and, and it clearly says that there's some things that demonstrate we're not actively abiding in Jesus. Uh, last week, Jesus, in, in the prayer that we looked at, it, it sounded pretty clear that if we are unwilling to forgive others, that God is unwilling to forgive us. And he says this in several places throughout Scripture, so I think we need to take that seriously in how we are forgiving the people around us, that that's a reflection of the prayer that we're asking God to forgive us. James says that we can pray with the wrong motives, that oftentimes what we're actually praying for is, is our own selfish desires or to, for our own passions in our life, that this is kind of what we're praying for. And so as we pray with the wrong motives, that's why God's not answering it. Peter tells husbands that if we don't honor our wives, that can cause our prayers to be hindered. That how we love our family, how we love the people around us, this can, this can interfere with, with our prayer lives. We're told in Psalms and in Isaiah that unconfessed sin can cause God to not even want to hear our prayers. Like, I, I don't even want you to talk to me. You're, you're holding on to that sin. I don't, I don't want to hear from you. We're told in Hebrews that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Dodie read that for us earlier today. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And James leans into this. He says that if we doubt, we shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. So doubt can hinder our prayers. Disobedience can hinder our prayer lives. Not seeking God's will can hinder our prayer lives. As we say, your will be done, but really my will be done. We talked about that last week. This can hinder and interfere with our prayer lives. So the Bible has a lot more to say about prayer than we've looked at in this four weeks. And I, I hope that we'll continue to, to look to Scripture to guide us in, in our thoughts and in our, in our prayer lives. But ultimately, I think it boils down to this. Remaining in Christ. Holding to Him. Like we want some magic formula, but it's just it's not that secret. It's, it's just abide in, in Jesus. Act in accordance with His character. Honor the name which we have been given. So this last few weeks, I've had just incredible, incredible blessings. Uh, many people in the congregation have uh, come up to me and shared with me um, something that they heard that has impacted their, their prayer lives. Um, they've, they've shown gratitude to me and, and just thanked me for that, that they're drawing deeper into relationship with God. I've gotten to read some amazing prayers. If you didn't see the prayer wall this morning, it's full. There's not even room for all the prayers. We're going outside the borders, which is just awesome. Such a blessing. And I, I encourage you guys to read that. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for, for that. I'm grateful that some people have heard something in these messages that maybe has drawn them deeper in their relationship with God, um, but, but I recognize that the transforming power will not come from a sermon. It never, it never will, because we can come in here, and we can hear a message, and, and we do this often. We'll, we'll hear something really good. We'll be convicted. We'll take it, and we'll like, oh, man, that was so good, or, or God was speaking directly to me. And then we'll leave and we won't do anything with it. And maybe in some ways we're not even really staying connected to him all week. And then we show back up the next Sunday and do the same thing over again and, and then wonder why we're not really getting closer to God or, or why the production of fruit in our lives does not seem to be to its maximum potential. It's not going to come from a sermon. It's going to come from the Holy Spirit at work in us 
And so then, just like what we read earlier in the scripture from Ephesians 3, just like Paul, his whole response is, for this reason, I fall to my knees. Like, this is where I need to be. I I just fall to my knees, and I'm praying the same prayer, that we could comprehend the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love for us. That the Holy Spirit would strengthen us with power in our inner being so that we could remain in Him rooted and grounded in that love. One of my favorite verses, it's, it's really become one of my favorite verses more and more, is right here in John 15, and it's in verse 9. And he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And have we ever really like thought about what that says? Like, How much do you think God the Father loves Jesus the Son? How much would you say? Is it like, without borders, like it's, it's unimaginable, that love, it's this divine love. I mean, just think about that, this perfect love, because that's how Jesus says he loves us, that just as the Father has loved me, that's how I love you. Like, we can't even really comprehend this, you know, we can't even really wrap our minds around it. I mean, even as Paul was, was going through this prayer that in Ephesians 3, he says that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Like, he's actually praying that we would know something we can't even fully know. Like, that's, that's kind of the whole point of this. We can't even grasp it. But as Paul says, God is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ever ask or think, according to the power at work within us, the Holy Spirit. So all we have to do is abide in him. Yeah. Stay connected to the tree, and God will do the rest. So I want to leave you guys with three things this week. Um, The first thing that that I want to just share, you know, earlier in the series, I talked about a book that has been really helpful for me in guiding some of my thoughts, and a really good book um, by Tim Keller. It's called Prayer, Experiencing the Awe and Intimacy of God. Um, And he has this chapter in this book called The Touchstones of Prayer. And I'm not going to get into all of these, but uh, I created a handout because he hits on these four areas that I think are pretty good. And these are, uh, what is prayer? What does prayer require of us? What does prayer give? And where does prayer take us? And so, um, like I said, I'm not going to get into it today, uh, but nevertheless, I think there are some good things to consider. So I created a handout. It's in the foyer. Is that how we say it? That's what I'm supposed to say. It's in the foyer uh, on one of the tables, and it says the touchstones of prayer. I'd encourage you to grab one of those, wrestle with it a little bit, pray about it, just kind of see. I think it's more impactful if you read the book. But I'd love to talk to you about some of those things and and maybe some of the ways that I've been experiencing God working at me through these kind of touchstones, we'll call them. So that's out there. I'd like to leave you with that. The second thing I'd like to leave you with uh, today is exactly what we've done the last several weeks, which is praying through Scripture. This is what we've done. We've, We've taken passages of Scripture and we've just lived in them all week long, and we've listened for God. Not, not trying to just jump in and respond, but we've really tried to just listen and hear him. And then to respond after, after kind of sitting in that passage, to respond by writing out a prayer to him in response to what he has said to us. And so this is going to be our passage for this week, John 15, verses 1 through 11, the same passage that we're looking at here. And I would love for us to continue to um, engage with this practice, with this uh, with this act of prayer journaling through the scriptures. Um, 
And this week in particular, I'd like you to really consider some of the ways that God is pruning you. Maybe some that you're open to and some that you're resistant to. I'd like to encourage you to really um, pray about some of the ways that, that maybe we're struggling to abide in Jesus and lift that up before God. Because Jesus says it right here at the end of our passage, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Like the whole reason he's telling this is because he wants us to experience that joy and that relationship with him. So John 15, verses 1 through 11. Um, and I just want to add on to this that um, this is why I'm so passionate about this practice. Because over the last few years, this is something that I've been engaging in. And it has transformed everything about my prayer life. It's transformed my very relationship with God. Everything has changed through this practice of prayer journaling through Scripture. And, you know, I can show you guys journals that I've used. And, and you go back and you read them. And it's just so powerful to look at. Oh, man, remember when I prayed that? And look how God responded. Not quite how I thought he was. But it's just such a powerful thing. And I think it really embodies the very nature of what this passage is saying, abiding in him that we're living in his word and then remaining connected through prayer. That's, that's what we do. That's what I do every week. The Thursday night group that, goes, that takes place here at the church building from 6.30 to 8 is another place where this happens every week and people are sharing this. This last week we had a bunch of people out traveling and like nine people sent in prayers. You know how powerful that is to experience? Like when was the last time you went to a, a Bible class and one, even when we give homework, which doesn't always happen, how many times do people actually follow through on the homework? This was nine people who couldn't be there in class and still chose to do it because they're experiencing the same thing. They're abiding in Jesus. They're abiding in his word. I can't say enough about this. I'd love to talk to you more about this. Um, but the last thing I would say that I want to leave you guys with is that Anyone who was to ask me about being serious, about wanting to grow in their prayer life, to want to experience a rich prayer life, I would tell them you need to spend time in the Psalms. Like the Psalms to me contain some of the richest expression of prayer and worship in the whole Bible. And they give us language with how to articulate these, these emotions that we feel, the joys and praises that we experience. They give voice to the pains and to the anguish and the laments that we deal with the crying out for deliverance, and the hopefulness and trust that we can have in Christ and in God's goodness. Like every range, the full range of human emotion can be found in the book of Psalms. And I truly believe they can transform our prayer lives just by spending time in that. And not only that, but Jesus, Jesus would have prayed these Psalms as well. He was very familiar. These would have been a regular part of his prayer life. So the one we follow would have done this. I can't say enough about that. I'd love to talk to you about some of the specific ways I incorporate the Psalms into my weekly rhythm and into my prayer times. So if you'd like to talk about that, um, I'd be happy to, to share that with you. Um, I'm going to invite the praise team on back up here. While they make their way back up, uh, just a few closing words. Um, as we go deeper in our relationship with God, there are going to be some painful moments. Uh, the pruning is not always fun. We're going to stumble sometimes, and then there's going to be times where we feel overstretched by God, that what he's doing is actually, God, I, I can't do that. It, it's too, you're stretching me too much. I'm spread too thin. 
But I want us to remember today the, the water that Jesus turned to wine. To make wine, some grapes have to get smashed. And this process that to the grape looks like, looks like destruction, to the winemaker it looks like this was always part of the plan. And so Jesus is the master winemaker. He can even take dirty hand-washing water and not only turn it into wine, but the best in the whole banquet. And so my prayer for us is that he would take the watery areas of our prayer lives and our faith and our relationship with him and that he would transform it into the finest wine. And as Jesus said in another story, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. We have to allow these wineskins to be transformed in this process as well. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. You are the ultimate Father. And so today we celebrate you. And every day I pray that we would do that, God. I thank you for the ways that you're drawing us deeper, God. I thank you for the ways that this last few weeks we've been able to really look at our prayer lives and consider um, what you have to say about that in, in your word. And Father, now here we are. And, and all that's left is for us just to continue to walk with you and abide with you and let you, God, be the very life source, the one who will do all the growing within us, who will maximize the fruit production in our lives. God, we want you to be glorified by that. And so I pray for us as a congregation that we would um, leave here today and just continue in that, God, faithfully and steadfastly as you do. Um, Lord, thank you for the way you love us. It, it boggles our minds that you could love us that much. And so uh, we love you, Lord, and we know that you are alive and well, and we're going to sing that right now. So we thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We pray this in his name.